she mentioned that um, she had this like dream of being like doing aerial photography. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I've heard it's not that expensive. And she's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, all right, I'll just fucking set it up and we'll go. <laughs> Holy crap. So can I ask how, how much it actually yeah, was? Yeah, we were up for 30 minutes and between the three of us, we each paid 140 bucks. Oh, wow. That's totally reasonable. Yeah. For what it is, like yeah. it's not a small amount of money and I have none, so it's all yeah. credit, but I couldn't turn down the opportunity to be in a no door fucking tiny no, helicopter. Definitely. That's like some James Bond stuff yeah, right there. Cool. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, pretty Did awesome. you get some killer shots out of it? I have no idea. I don't <laughs> think so. <clears throat> I went up, unfortunately. Are we recording any of this? We can hash it in. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I uh this is an amazing intro actually. I um I have this shitty old cheap uh, intro telephoto lens plastic, you know, the oh, whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah. So I didn't want to I don't have money to buy lenses or rent, so I brought that. Mm-hmm. Um thinking it would be enough light for clean uh, shots, but it's amazing how much for example the helicopter vibration being under a rotor with no door <laughs> uh you know, uh, air, like wind, air yeah. and wind speed. Uh, and then on top of that, it's not glass. So like uh, we were, Scott gave us advice to be on burst mode. Um, mm-hmm. So I think every time I took six sequential shots, like I have one, mm-hmm. I, I, I spent some time last night looking through it. Right. Now I took something like 2000 frames. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'll have something come you up. You would definitely have, yeah, have yeah. something in there. But, but it was... It was dope. It was fun. How many photographers are able to like three? Three. Yeah, it's a tight squeeze. It's a tight squeeze, but totally worth it though. It's fun. Oh man, yeah. that could be a really cool excursion for like a photography trip. Yeah, I think people do do that. I don't know. Like, you know, I have half a mind um, to think about whether I could build something around that. But there's some complex issues. Like, for example, body weight was a factor. I had to get yeah. everybody's, you know, weight for fuel ratio, yeah, yeah. Uh, timing, scheduling. Like, it bails. Like, we were supposed to go on Friday and it rained. Right. Um, you know, there was all these nuances that make it difficult to manage, I think. Right. Especially it's with not the just like people. jump in the helicopter, go take some great no. photos. I mean, you probably could. Yeah. It, yeah, if you had that kind of money and <laughs> flexibility. It's like if you're by yourself and you're like, you know what, I have yeah. you know, 800 bucks that I don't know what but to do with. Full, so. Full-time artist. It's, yeah. it's not in the cards, no. really. You need a lot of planning. And um, yeah, and when I put the open shout out on, uh, on Instagram to invite people, mm-hmm. I think like a lot of people looked at it. <laughs> But um, either they assumed it would be too expensive because I didn't know what to pitch. And they bill by the minute, which is really cool. So Ooh, interesting. we budgeted an hour. Not mm-hmm. that I had the money, but like just to see what would happen. And right. then it got double booked. And then we ended up up for half an hour because Scott's like a big pro uh, mm-hmm. and everything. So he's like, you know, I think 30 minutes would be enough. It's yeah. 10 minutes into the city, 10 minutes back. So we were really shooting for 10 minutes. But, nice. Um, 10 minutes in a helicopter as you're panning the downtown core, um, you get the okay passes. If it were up to me and I had an open wallet, I'd probably have stayed maybe another 10 minutes to do a second pass just right. so that I would get a gauge of what my lens is looking at. Right. Have that second chance. Like, yeah. okay, I saw these shots the first time, missed them, go around the second, go get them. Yeah, I think I would have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, we didn't because I don't have any money. <laughs> and I don't know how I'm going to afford 140 <laughs> bucks anyways, but... But we'll see. So I was just telling Kyle earlier um, when I earn some money and, uh, you know, get this, all this stuff I'm doing off the ground. I'm going back for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Whether it's with other people. I, my son was like in tears uh, when I was dropping him, like picking him up from school because mm-hmm. he was like, how come I can't go? I'm like, well, 
There's a couple nuances to yeah, that. Yeah. A, the big ones, I don't have enough money for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other ones, I don't think they have a harness small enough. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it was like a full harness, like my crotch, my thighs. So you were every- like locked in. Oh yeah. So you could Camera just like, two, like everything lean zipped up out the window. Yeah. And oh my goodness, it, that is straight out of James and, Bond. Uh, yeah, and we may have, <laughs> whether we were allowed to or not. But the caveat is, I mean, it's so goddamn windy and right. uh, scary that once you start leaning out of the cabin, let's say sticking your camera or whatever, like I had, I had wind blowing across my face so hard i felt my eyelids like start flapping oh my god and like i at by the end of the 10 minutes we were shooting like i couldn't even look through my viewfinder because like i I was like trying to shield my face like on certain angles right and i had these stupid flaps from the from the harness like like flapping and smashing me in the face yeah like there's a lot of interesting things that happen when there are no doors but um so that's not great for four-year-old um yeah i imagine but he would have Either loved it or pissed his pants, or both <laughs> loved pissing his pants in a helicopter. Wow. Oh, hilarious. Okay, we're talking too long. Uh, we'll have to use all of this because we don't have a lot of time. Welcome to Perspectives, I <laughs> see. We're back at Media Lab. Once again, my sponsor, Kyle, uh, is here recording and just overseeing. Uh, give, we've discussed he's going to use very visual hand gestures and signals to tell me when it's time to shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> We unfortunately lost uh, the last podcast uh, through a computer error. So I'm not going to start numbering these anymore, Kelly. Uh, so we're, it's just a podcast now. Cool. <laughs> and it'll probably still release sequentially because I'm lazy and I, I don't have an intent about any of these. But just in case, this is uh, one of the podcasts that we're doing uh, here at the end of September. I have the honor of bringing a pretty neat dude, Kelly Johnsgard. Yeah. Um, and if you do or don't know, uh, he is one of the founding members, no gender, uh, of uh, what was uh, Voltage Garage, which was an amazing space, and now is called Neverland Ranch as they've moved to Ramsey. Um, and we'll talk about that, hopefully, yeah. because I feel like Kelly and I share um, some directional intent for art in Calgary. Uh, but maybe we could start, Kelly, with you giving us a bit of a spiel about who you are. Spiel? Oh, man. Born and mostly raised in Calgary. Grew up in Texas. Traveled a lot as a kid. About five years ago, I got presented this opportunity to take over an abandoned building. Uh, and it was in Marble Loop, an abandoned Ottawa garage. And that, uh, over the course of two and a half years, that became Voltage Creative Garage, which is just a creative hub for all wa- all sorts of artists to come and work and create in a safe and affordable space. We knew from the beginning that that was going to be a, a short-term lease that the property owners were did have plans on the books to develop that property. And when that happened, I, I very quickly realized that I wanted to be doing that as well as, you know, focusing on my own art, which is photography, uh, full-time. So through a lot of hard work and uh, contacts that we made in the city and, uh, friends of of the old space we got the space in uh ramsey now which is the old shamrock annex hotel so now we have actually two buildings one is the annex hotel that houses all the artists we have 26 rooms and they're all full up now i think we have 34 artists occupying the space there's a couple of shared rooms then we also have a 1200 square foot event space that uh, is used for 
gallery shows, workshops, theater rehearsal space, large-scale photo shoots, bachelor parties, birthday parties, you name it, we really kind of have a problem saying no to creative types. So, And we really try our best to to facilitate that within this city. And like I said, again, at a very affordable rate. I met Kelly, um, I think it was January. I was working with the boys of Magari. Shout out to Dallas and Vladdy. And we were going to put on... Actually, no, it was before. It was probably November of last year. And we were going to put up uh, a show at Rodney's Oyster House. And the theme uh, was going to be this big multimedia event, live painting, the whole show. And honestly, it was it was pretty cool. Uh, but one thing that Dallas, uh, the creative dude... Uh, He's eight, he was 18, which is nuts. They're like crazy talented yeah. and super young. Yeah, it's Which crazy. is actually really inspiring in this city to see young people so engaged in, yeah, man. in doing art like that. So Dallas goes, uh, we absolutely need old CRT TVs. And uh, I'm like, <laughs> fuck, man. Like Now you're hearkening back to my generational uh, memories. Um, but that stuff is hard to come by. And I can't remember whether I... Wanted to reach out to you guys directly. I mean, I reached out on their behalf, yeah. but I don't remember if I was the one who knew that Voltage must have something yeah. like that. But um, I reached out to you guys and you met me at the yet undeveloped Shamrock. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, flippantly, how many stars would you have said that it would have been rated prior to you getting there? Oh, man, I think it would have been in the negatives. I think it would have been like <laughs> negative one and a half stars. It, uh, it was when, likely when humanly occupied, but yeah. not by uh, paying customers. Yeah, I think. that was... <laughs> Interesting days. Oh, dude, in the show space, it was literally boarded up. You had to bring a fucking drill to let me in. That's right, too. Yeah, Yeah. because it was still, yeah, all the locks were wore out and we were just screwing everything closed. None of the power was working. It was unreal, man. Yeah, it was. It's crazy to think how far it's come. Well, that's the thing. I mean, to, uh, to finish the anecdote, we walk in and it's just... I mean, it's a dump. <laughs> but amidst all of the refuge, uh, refuse, refuge, I, I think they both work, uh, maybe not, are these CRT TVs and you lent them to us, uh, which A, I wanted to bring up just, you know, um, in terms of the spirit of, mm. of what I want the art scene in Calgary to actually be. But B, I came by when you guys kind of launched, but did that big block party a couple of oh, weeks right, ago. Oh, right, the bangerang block party. And yeah. Kelly, I, I can't. It it's unfathomable um, what you do at that place. I mean, not only is the junk and the, and there's an a working door, mm-hmm. um, but it actually looks like a beautiful, pristine gallery. Um, I mean, you guys are all artists, so mm-hmm. of course you can make it look pretty. But you guys put a lot of work there. Man. Um, we did, and we're 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 very very fortunate that so many artists within the space and people that come by the space are willing to help out. And more often than not, the artists occupying the space come from trades backgrounds. Corey being a, a master electrician, Wyatt being uh, certified in HVAC and refrigeration and that kind of thing. Um, and everybody is just so willing to come and help out. I remember the first three months that we were in the space, it was literally, okay, let's make a plan. We have to get rid of all these beds and blankets and carpet and drop down ceiling and dressers. And what are we going to do with all these? Vintage TV. So it was, okay, itemizing what we wanted to keep and got six job site bins and organized a crew and just paid them in coffee and beer and pizza. And they were loving it. And most of the people, actually, everybody still comes and hangs out at the space if they don't have a studio at the space. So it's 
we've really kind of created this family of sorts, this art collective family. I just realized the other reason I knew you guys is because Alex Kwong, mm -hmm. um, who I tried to collab with, uh, and I just think he's a cool guy and incredibly talented, but he talked about that too, how you guys are like this, yeah, family. And, uh, and it was interesting when I contacted you and, and saw how you guys operate. You know what's interesting about that and how cool Voltage was? Because I saw them just before you closed at mm -hmm. Marta Gras uh, last year or the year before. Oh, right, yeah. Um, is, you know, at, at that same party this year at the opening, I mean, the amount of people that came out, not just a presumably artists or people mm -hmm. that were um, – you know, had worked with you before, but it felt like people came out. I don't know if you have any numbers or any experiential detail, but Not, you had an amazing kick-ass no. band. There was there was people everywhere. Dude. It was it was pretty crazy. We don't have exact numbers, but we definitely estimate upwards of three hundred people. Yeah, um, which was amazing to see. See, sorry, and you know, just lends itself to you know, we feel like we're on the right path, and people are aching for something like this in the city and not just artists, the community on, on a whole and the city on a whole wants to see, you know, what talented artists within this city can produce and go to smaller intimate boutique concerts where they can see a band that they wouldn't generally see at, you know, the Ironwood or the blues can. I mean, those are great venues, but they cost a fair bit of money to, to play at those spaces. And, uh, it's, the art game is not an easy, not an easy game to play. We actually had, we were part of the Burns Visual Art Walk two weeks ago, I believe it was. And again, we, we were shocked at how many people came out. And it was cr terribly crummy weather, kind of rainy and miserable cold. And again, there was like 280, 300 people that came through the doors just to see what we were doing in the space and participate in the figure drawing that we had in the boutique and you know, meet some other local artists and just kind of talk with them and maybe try and buy some pieces. Yeah, I mean, I have so many questions, I guess. But number one, um, you know, Kyle and I, we have some inroads on this live event uh, thoughts that we have. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to put that out as a request to you too. I, one of the things that Kyle has dreamed of, uh, speaking of dreams like MJ and helicopters and all this shit, is... Uh, <laughs> We're going to do live broadcasting uh, in a digital forum, uh, mm -hmm. whether that involves, uh, so we've got a sort of a spoken word rap R&B concept. I've got a possible uh, slam poetry art something. And now I'm talking to you and I'm thinking like that band I saw at your show, they were, the, they were incredible, man. You, the Mitch Below band, unbelievably talented gentlemen. Oh, Again, really, really young guys, crazy hard work ethic. They... Uh, when I was lining Mitch up for, for the party, I was like, wow, how's the summer been treating you? He's like, we're playing like three gigs a week, like it's three, crazy. four gigs a week. We're playing all the time, which is great to hear uh, in this city and traveling quite a bit. He's been spending quite a bit of time in BC and splitting his time between touring Calgary and BC, which is awesome. But um, that would be really cool to have them play like a live set and then have, a, have an interview with them. Yeah, man. A Q and A. Shit, instead of one, maybe we'll get to do three. Or like maybe, you know? And like we were talking when we first conceptualized our partnership about how we got to get rid of this idea that we have to make it big on the first one and just try, yeah, different venues, different mm -hmm. people and all this stuff. So I will say as a marker, like I'm going to stay on you on that and maybe Definitely. the next bigger show or something that you have an idea. I mean, we don't even know 
about equipment and you know whether it'll be on Apple or you know Instagram live TV who knows what live means anymore the mm-hmm. stupid uh, technology keeps evolving every yeah. goddamn second so um but i think the principle of it is important um which is the same message that you and i are vibing on which is mm-hmm. we need to get all of this YYC talent in front of more and more people totally so that we can at least whether we need to stay or, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, so close-minded, but at least people can recognize that there's just awesome people everywhere. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, now I've forgotten all my other questions, but let, let me kind of rewind a little bit here. Um, you know, five years ago, Voltage. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of give me an idea of you personally, Kelly. What were you doing before that? Are you, like, how did you come into that opportunity? And maybe even preceding that, like, what's your relationship with art, photography, all of that sort of creative side. Um, well, I've, I guess that my background in art is I've just always been a very, very creative person. My dad was a carpenter, so I always used to just hang on his hip and he'd show me how to build things. My mother always had a completely fully manual uh, Canon camera on her hip. So whenever we'd be traveling, she'd be taking, you know, the family photos. 35. And it was just, you know, getting enrolled in art classes and, and you know, stuff like that growing up. And it wasn't getting a new PlayStation 2 or PlayStation 1, I guess it would be back then. It was like, here's an art book for Christmas. Like, you're bored, go draw. You you know, it's we didn't have cable. It was very, very simple childhood growing up. So I was always kind of creating and entertaining myself with my hands and just playing in the dirt or drawing or reading or building something with dad or stuff like that. So I've always had that creative spirit in me. And then just been fortunate enough that most of my friends are artists in one medium or another, whether it's musicians or other photographers or painters. So just kind of always gravitated towards the creative spirit. Did you end up studying it or working in it prior to Voltage? Or? Nope, not at all. Um, the way I got into photography was, oddly enough, I was doing a contracting job and gentleman couldn't pay me the full amount and he had this full film set that he he was like, well, you Harder, know, if baby. you take that on trade, like go take it in, get it appraised. And it turned out it was a really good set. And I, oddly enough, I still actually, that's what I was shooting with last night at four or this morning. I can't in the let morning. that go. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great workhorse. T- still takes amazing photos. So, um, so you started in film. I started in film and I shot with film for probably about four years, just wanted to learn as much as I could. You do your own darkroom stuff or? Um, I'm going to start doing it because uh, Wyatt Bronson has a darkroom in the Neverland Studios. So he gave me a sneak peek. He's generous enough to kind of teach me his way. So I'm going to be his Padawan and learn how to develop my own stuff. So just a quick, very exciting. Quick shout out to Wyatt. He sent like some of those pictures he took on mountaintops recently with that big old, uh, is it oh, a full that, frame or I don't yeah, know? Yeah, it's uh, that thing is insane. God, those are good pictures. <laughs> so good. He is just unbelievably talented. Um, well, yeah, I mean, speaking of Wyatt, so we're we got this film camera, we're um, a creative person, but it sounds like you were contracting and actually making, you know, human, yeah, so human dollars. obviously, I had a day job, I've had a day job for quite a while, and uh, I guess the way the voltage studio started was uh, I just got sick and tired of running a woodworking shop. I was a foreman at a woodworking shop, and I was just miserable all the time and working crazy hours. So I quit my job and I didn't have a job for two months. 
And within those two months, uh, my former business partner, Andrew Llewellyn, asked me what I really wanted to do. And I said, well, I kind of got this crazy idea for like a multimedia art studio. I was like, just house everybody and maybe like a small event space. And, you know, I was just sick and tired of hearing all my friends. Oh, I, I got to go to Toronto or, you know, Vancouver or down in the state somewhere to get a studio. And there's no space in Calgary and there's no forums to, you know, showcase my work. I can't afford to spend all that money at a gallery and lose 60% of what I would sell the piece for. So within two weeks of her asking me that, she had lined up meetings with the property owner, uh, Martelute BRZ, and the city. And we essentially had, within a week, we had to get like a business plan ready, business model, all that fun stuff, and pitch it to these people to see if they would actually go for it. So it was the two of you to start? It was literally just the two of us to start at uh, Voltage Creative Garage. And lo and behold, surprise, they went for it. So then it was like, okay, now now we have bills (laughs) and a 3,000 square foot building that nothing really works. Yeah. And like everything is broken. So then I realized, well, I can't pay for stuff if I don't have a job. So unfortunately I had to get a job again. Um, which is great. They, they knew my situation. They knew that my passion was the studio and I probably wouldn't be around forever. So we, for the first year, all we did was spend money on permits and licensing and fixing the building because it was, you know, the building permit cost $900. So it's like, Hey, we have to save up for a month and then we can apply for the building permit. And then while we're waiting on to hear from the city, we'd be fixing the roof or fixing broken windows or salvaging desks and chairs or, you know, drafting tables or any number of things, canvas from garage sales. Uh, And then just slowly started meeting more artists that wanted studio space. And one of the first artists to actually approach us was Alex Kwong. He was painting a, a food truck, Soul Food Kitchen, I believe it was. And he wanted to pull it inside the building, but unfortunately it didn't fit. He painted it outside on the parking lot and it was just a safe place that he could store his gear inside and not have to worry about hauling it back and forth and, you know, come and go as he pleased. And he painted the truck and he's like, so what's the deal with studio space? And kind of gave him the pitch and built him a a little 12 by 14 foot cubicle. And then Megan Gench came on board and then it just kind of exponential growth from there and kept growing and growing. We had at the peak, I think we had eight artists in the back and we were booking about 16 events a month in the event space, all, all sorts of events, which is amazing. So it was really great to see. It was, it was sad to see it go, but uh, fortunately for us, we were able to get another space and I'm able to keep doing this and now full time. <laughs> Yeah, like running into you guys, it's inspiring. I mean, I think especially the way that my life is unfolding, as I keep repeating, I am not a planned person and I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. So when I get this intuition for myself to kind of be in art and do this sort of thing, uh, and then that intuition became uh, similar to yours, kind of what can I do to facilitate other people, either yeah, to be presented, to be out, to, to connect with other people. Uh, running into Voltage at the time, running into Alex, then running into you, uh, working with 18-year-old kids that are starting a streetwear, uh, streetwear reselling company and uh, hypeware and all whatever the terms they're using now. 
Uh, but I did get dope from them, so I'm eternally grateful to be able to speak uh, like a kid, marginally. <laughs> um, it's it's amazing, you know? It, and it also, I think we talked about this at the coffee shop last week, It uh, whether we're preaching to the converted by talking to each other, there is a sense that your success tells us that what we're doing right now has some kind of root structure here. You know, whatever the reputation of Calgary is on the top surface level of, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, what we're seeing, at least where we occupy, like you got 300 people to an opening at your new space. Mm-hmm. Um, that says something, you know? Yeah, I I really got to start taking more time and, and stepping back and appreciating that for the simple fact that like myself and Corey are there all the time. So we're just so entrenched in it that it's like, okay, well, we have to set the space up for this event and then we have meetings or whatever it is. So it's always just moving forward onto the next thing, um, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love it. Um, but taking those moments and like stepping back at like the gallery shows or the openings is like, wow, this is unbelievable. I can't believe there's so many people coming out and so many amazing artists that want to use the space. And uh, part of me feels bad that, that we're already full up. I, I really wish we could keep housing more artists and give them more studio space. The fact of the matter is we're, we're full up in, in our studio space. So I can only do so much with, with that building right now, but I definitely have loftier goals. Yeah. What are those? <laughs> permanence. Lar- <laughs> at this point, a larger space and permanence. Mm. That's kind of the end goal. Yeah. I, as soon as you say permanence, I think, I wonder what that, a means to you in your mind and what that will actually be in practice. You know, if there's anything I'm learning about life is that there's really no such thing as permanence. <laughs> and rather maybe, I mean, it's like me going on this helicopter trip last night. I really have no right to spend that money, be mm-hmm. up there or anything like that. And they are not linked to any sense of permanence at all. Um, I wonder instead if the focus became about these experiential things, um, like having a show where 300 people show up and you have this live band that's incredible and you have such positive energy is the polar opposite of permanence. It becomes, you know, sort of momentary. Uh, it kind of shades this thought I'm having. And I don't know how comfortable you'll be to talk about this angle. We talked a little bit about this last week at the coffee shop too, um, is, which is about money. And mm-hmm. it's about whether any of this is in fact salable, sustainable. Uh, yeah. At one point, remember we, I mean, maybe we'll revisit that talk we had about the famous artist that blew up in the street art scene and then Mm -hmm. has a slave factory workers build everything for him. So maybe you can give me a a brief, give us a brief Coles notes of that. Uh, We don't, whether you feel comfortable naming the names, but uh, that anecdote, and then give me an idea of where we left off, uh, whether it affects how we approach these, um, for lack of a better word, ventures we're on right now. Truthfully, I can't remember where we left off with that conversation. Um, I've got no problem naming names in regards to artists, but I believe it was Obey Giant who's, you know, started out in the street scene, made made a really big name for him and, you know, proved that he could do some really cool things. But all the videos I see of his large, large scale work now, it's he's standing on the ground just telling people what to do. And there's He's got all his minions up in the lifts and in his studio space, cutting out all his stencils and, you know, bringing him all his paint and going up in the lift and actually doing the painting. And he's just 
having them reproduce his actual work. I have a hard time with that. I get the aspect that to become hugely successful, there are sacrifices that you have to make. And, you know, obviously getting somebody to cut out your stencils is, is one thing, but getting um, all your minions to do actually all your painting for you, that just, in my opinion, just makes you a designer. You're not the actual artist producing the work. You're the one just telling people what to do and design the piece. But again, he's hugely successful and he's getting probably million dollar contracts. Yeah, I think like when we were talking about it, it had two perspectives. One was the reflection of capitalistic ventures, free market capitalism in the sense that what does successful mean? Like, so he's got to scale up and do this thing so that he has presumably enough managerial time to make presumably whatever hundreds of millions of bucks or whatever, whatever he defines as that success. Mm -hmm. The polar opposite in a, let's say, um, you know, biased artisans is it's all about the craftsmanship. And mm -hmm. the only thing that matters is, you know, the way I interact with my pain and with my, with my pieces. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll literally eat shit and dirt and, you know, just lie down on the floor just to be able to do that. And so those are in Congress only because we kind of extend them all, all the right. way out there. Um, and it's kind of the other thing, uh, very similar to that, which is the concept that art in itself has seemed to evolved from, Devolved, evolved from craftsmanship, tradesmanship, this sort of tactile practice and and uh, expertise mm -hmm. to uh, context and marketing mm -hmm. and, and mass production and mass production uh, to chase presumably more money. Mm -hmm. um, and so, where where does where do we fit in that conversation? Uh, you know, last night after I got out of the when I was getting out of the minivan with uh, MJ, with Michelle Johnson. Um, so if that beginning bit of the helicopter goes in, she was in the helicopter with me and we built that helicopter ride for her. But, you know, she was giving me a bit of a press about the way I talk essentially like a pseudo socialist and I hate money. And I, and, you know, and like, I, I, I know that I need to find a way to capitalize this stuff, be it the podcast, the magazine, the art shows mm -hmm. in a way that I can pay for my family to survive and that we can eat and we could do X, Y, Z, maybe shit, man, like give money back to the artists who are mm -hmm. helping me out with this venture. And yet because of my attitude, like that doesn't seem to be an easy thing. Cause I'll throw anything to, you know, get away from considerations of money. But, you know, you seem to have found somewhere in the middle, at least in the sense that voltage survived so long, mm -hmm. Neverland seems to be building a lot quicker than Voltage did. <laughs> so well, you've learned yeah, something in we, the experience. We definitely have a, like I said, it, it lends itself back to the family. We have a lot of people putting in a, a lot of work and the artists are, you know, basically taking care of their own space in regards to, I guess the sustainability of that. The, the hardest part is the double-edged sword is, the greed of the corporations of this city, you know, view their property and they're more often than not, not willing to take risks on a business that doesn't fit into a stereotypical business model. It was probably one of the largest problems we've run into is, you know, we don't really fit into any mold for a business model or business classification, especially for the city's views. Um, so it's been an uphill battle in that sense of like, 
no, look, like what we're trying to do is actually worthwhile and it's going to stimulate the economy. And, you know, all you need to do is just take a chance and, you know, give us a little bit of a break with the rent, um, which thank goodness the city has definitely been willing to do and helped us out with giving us a partially subsidized rent, um, which has allowed us a lot of opportunities to, one, just get the space up and running um, and then kind of build the artists, build the artist bank and get the artists in the space. But that has definitely been the hardest part is, is changing the corporate world's mind on how artists actually operate. Because there seems to be a stigmatism towards artists on a whole that, you know, we just want to have parties and we stay up late and, you know, we're, we're not actually producing anything and we have no value. But when you look at other cities like... Um, Actually, Detroit would be a great example. Detroit went through a huge economic downturn. So now you're seeing this very large influx of artists taking over spaces at crazy affordable rates. And then what's going to happen there is the property owners or property managers or property management companies are going to come in and start realizing, oh, well, these properties are worth money. So I'm going to buy them up, force the artists out, and then put up new condos and whatnot. And it's happening all over downtown Calgary. They're taking perfectly fine buildings and ripping them down to put in condos that are, you know, 6% of them are going to sit vacant for the better part of a year. Um, probably longer than that. Probably, probably longer. Um, so it's, will we ever get around that? I really hope so. Um, that is definitely one thing that we're trying to do at, at Neverland is, you know, change people's minds that, you know, art has a value, you know, you can't just pay an artist in favors. That's not going to pay their bills. You know, you have to pay them money so that they can pay their bills and, you know, part of their bills are towards us. And then we can pay our bills to the city. And then the neighborhood looks great because we're going to be putting murals on the building. And hopefully by doing that, the city realizes, well, you know, maybe we don't need to rip down that building. Maybe we can just, they can keep that building. And keep growing and flourishing. I wonder, and I'm uh, obviously no economist <laughs> uh, and I'm no, uh, you know, academic when this kind of stuff comes uh, through, but, you know, I wonder if part of the issue is this idea of associating money as a commodity, you know, this idea that accumulating money of its own is, has its own value. Mm -hmm. Whereas the original, I believe, intent of money was sort of this transferring barter sort of thing to ease the trade between, uh, you know, a farmer and a, and a painter, you mm -hmm. know, because maybe the farmer didn't need a painting that week. So then, you know, you could connect more people within a society together mm -hmm. using this sort of common element. And now money just literally rules all. Like yeah, people yeah, will rules sell. the world. Yeah. Huh? When I watch... Well, I don't have cable anymore, but when I had cable and you watch garbage, you know, US TV and you see like Judge Duty and like a sister suing a brother for a fucking coffee that they didn't mm -hmm. get paid back for, like that kind of stuff. I mean, I, that's a caricature and it's shit TV and it's not meant to be a reflection of how everybody is, but it's fascinating that that's even a plausibility. You know, I, I think like all of, all of this, you know, that we have to fight to talk about how creativity and expression of the human spirit um, has a value yeah. is insane. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's bizarre to think, 
where society puts its values on mm. that, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I've got the friends that, you know, they need to drive the newest and latest, greatest model vehicle. And, you know, they're not happy with an 800 square foot house. It's got to be 5,000 square feet. And, um, you know, that's fine. That works for them. I'm just the type that I like to live within my means. And, um, I try and support local as much as possible. Um, because I love this city and I, I love the talent that's coming out of this city. So I've just never really felt the need for big shiny things and, you know, subscribing to having, you know, six figures in my bank account. That's definitely not my idea of success. What my idea of success is, is if we were able to stay in the, in the studio for five years and just grow that business model and, you know, just keep having amazing events and, supporting as many local artists as possible that would be that would be a success to me truthfully money money has never been a driving force in this that has actually been not even on the list it was you know when we started this it was when it was voltage garage when we moved into uh neverland it was always you know we're not going to be rich doing this you know there are going to be hard months in the first five months in the Neverland, the hotel was very, very hard. There was a couple of months where we were scraping money together to to pay some bills, um, but we got it done. We put in the work, and you know. But that's my idea of success right now. Is you know the five years in in the studio. There might be sort of a common element uh, with creatives, but I'd like to believe that this is sort of a human thing. But I, I think when presented. Finally, with something experiential, be it something fun or something a grind like tearing down that god awful heroin dump of a hotel <laughs> and turning it into this you know beautiful facility where artists mm. actually want to go and and mm -hmm. do their art. I don't remember if this is on the Magda podcast or the Lost Jewel one, but you know I was talking to my friend Jacko who will be on a podcast soon. He's the manager uh, now, ex manager of the Phil and Sebastians that I uh, live oh, at. Yeah, yeah. Um, he actually is a mountaineer on the side and he talked about, you know, these weekly expeditions camping out and sub-zero weather, mm -hmm. climbing these, almost dying three times this year. And, and he's like, you know, in the moment of doing it, sharing a tent with, you know, two other smelly dudes, you know, like all the, all mm -hmm. those experiential, it's not that that's in itself pleasant. It's mm -hmm. just the overall experience, the sense of accomplishment of overcoming things, of growing, mm -hmm. you know, he is an incredible person in that he's so focused on those experiential moments that I'm inspired by hanging out with people like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, when I talk to a lot of folks, both creative and non, I mean, some people are just kind of scared to pull the trigger to do something. You know, they talk themselves out of it and explain the 60 reasons why it's a bad idea. I mean, I really should not have been, I, I'm a gloat, but I really mm -hmm. should not have been in a helicopter last night. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I don't have the money and, I have no right being in one, but uh, I got to do it, yeah. and it was uh, it was amazing, yeah. you know. And I intend now to do it again, because <laughs> uh, uh, why the hell else? Like, why shouldn't I be in a helicopter, you know? But I had a friend in Toronto DM me or Facebook message me, and the conversation becomes like, "Oh, I'm so happy living through you." I'm like, "Go out right now and yeah. fucking email a helicopter flight thing in Ontario." And just go on a helicopter. Like, I, I don't know what else to tell you 
you know, it's not, I don't think it's good enough yeah. anymore that we just sit and watch other people do and stuff. live through people. Yeah. That is kind of where society is gone is with everything being so easily accessible at your f- fingertips, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or, you know, you have these false idols, I guess, that people look up to, like the Kardashians, like, oh, their lives are so amazing. And oh, it's, I live my life watching them. It's like, well, you're not actually living your life. In my opinion, you're not actually living your life. You're just, you know, sitting there, you know, pining over what you could have. And you're just too afraid, like you said, to pull the trigger. Like, all you have to do is just put the remote down and take a chance. And you might surprise yourself at what you can actually accomplish if you just put down the goddamn remote and get outside and go do something. You know, maybe you're not riding in a helicopter. Maybe you're just going for like a brief little hike in the mountains or, you know, going to see a band that you never would have gone and seen on an open jam night or something like that. I'm I'm grinning here because I just realized we're just three grumpy old men, <laughs> like in a fucking sitcom, right? And just be like, "Get off your sir, yes." Or like Clint Eastwood, like, "Get off my fucking lawn," you know? Let's go I, do something, you little <laughs> bastards. <laughs> but you know what's fascinating? Like, I, I, a, I'm identifying so much with that. I mean, I am a parent, but you know the the tropes of you know old people telling young people to stop fucking about and just get out and do something. <laughs> But what's interesting is, like we mentioned earlier, I'm meeting 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds that got the message. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're going to be in for hard times. You oh, know? totally. Um, you know, life life isn't meant to be pleasant in a, uh, a laid-back, kind of I-get-everything-I-want kind of way. But rather, I think, you know, we're experiencing this, I, I, I want to assume, that life is more about all of the things that we get to be part of mm-hmm. rather than kind of control or or expect mm-hmm. or plan for really i think even I, I think we've got to mic you up kyle moving forward we've got to, to find a way to get you a third mic but you know kyle reaching out to me after the magazine came out and i, I don't know if you remember this but our first conversation was revolved around um, how the intent of media lab was for creatives but the reality was corporate you know uh, to to get it off the ground you know but kyle came and met me he didn't just think about it or yeah. see other, you know, media centers like, oh, we're, they're doing a really cool job, man. Good job. You know, like, I'm going to like yeah, that picture. Slow clap. Yeah. Slow clap. No. Well, now we're doing this. I mean, fuck, Kyle's not getting paid, but uh, we're going to figure that out. Like, I, I, I'm honestly going to figure out something. Um, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I'm going to try. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens next. But, you know, all the people I'm meeting right now, mm-hmm. I think, are the types of people that... um aren't satisfied mm-hmm. clicking picture. I mean, everybody's on social media. We're all liking or unliking mm-hmm. stuff. And if it's not social media, it's, it's television, it's ads, it's billboards. Like, you know, we're, we're inundated with yeah. uh, messages and, um, and, pra- and brainwashing, but, but that's okay too. Yeah. You know, I, and I think uh, rather than doing what I used to do in my youth, which is, yeah, definitely tell everybody they're doing everything wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I am noticing, f- you know, for myself and through this growth process and hanging out with guys like you, Kelly, like it's like, you know, I just want to be inspired to make that next step, whatever mm-hmm. that next step may be. So listening to you build uh, the Shamrock into this art space uh, makes me think, you know, I need to do something similar. Not like the same, but I just need to put my energy somewhere there where I can mm-hmm. find a venue. Maybe work with you like we talked about uh, totally. putting on a show, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's in February like we talked yeah. about or something. Um, and then now we'll 
have Kyle there and we'll do an interview and mm-hmm. maybe it'll be live and maybe through those experiments it'll suddenly turn into mm-hmm. you know venture three four five six seven or eight well, yeah it's, it's funny saying that just like the topic that we're kind of on of just getting out there and, and doing stuff I feel a lot of people have this fear that they need to do it perfect or right or it has to be this big yes. grand thing and uh, one of the new board members on the team, Carson Rubling, is extremely talented jazz musician in the city. You know, when we first moved into the space, we had all these ideas. You know, the Bangarang party was going to, we were going to have like five food trucks and like six bands. And it was going to be this extravagant thing. He's like, guys, like, it doesn't have to be this big, great thing. Like, let's just do, let's do more for less cost. And see what happens because then once you start doing that, you start having more gallery shows and you start having more boutique shows and, you know, getting more artists in the space, but we're not actually exerting more energy or spending more money to do it. You know, you can produce more stuff and make more people aware of what's going on within the space. So it's just, you know, keep it simple and just take that jump. And just, you'd be surprised at what you can do with on a general. I feel like we're scripting because we're running out of time. And that was a great concluding statement. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to quickly observe, uh, of course, there's a jazz musician that had that insight. <laughs> Well, it's just cool. I have always had a connection to jazz in general. Uh, and now with my hip hop, it's all this indie jazz influenced, um, you know, melodic stuff. But that idea of experimentation being about the process of getting things wrong mm-hmm. as opposed to, like you said, being right off the bat. Yeah. And my classic uh, now, probably every podcast, you know, the Yoda line, do or do not. There is yeah, no there try. There is no try. Fuck, man. Okay. So we got to wrap. Uh, this one will be interesting to edit because uh, I wasted a lot of time uh, going here and there, but it's going to be fun. Any, I mean, what's... I mean, you got a lot of stuff new. So is there anything presumably, let's say, going into Christmas that you really want to shout out or any kind of <sighs> big projects that are worth sort of promoting? Just off the top of my head, John F. Uh, Ross's show this weekend, Barry Lauren's show this weekend. That's about it off the top of my head. Okay. Um, but those will likely be over probably, by the yeah. time this comes out. But But I will say this. I mean, I think... Uh, if anyone listening to this hasn't been to Neverland, uh, that's Neverland with no vowels, uh, check them out on Instagram and just go to their place. I wish I had taken pictures when I was there first so you could see what an incredible evolution has already occurred. But I also want to thank you, Kelly, not only for coming out today, but just I kind of like being my friend. I think <laughs> considering the story of what you guys accomplished and... Um, you know, what Voltage was when I met you, the fact that you would even take the time to try to find CRT TVs for a couple of kids that were trying to start up fast. <laughs> I mean, I think it says a lot about what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, well, thank you very much for one, having me on the show and uh, yeah, just hanging out and talking art because yeah, I absolutely love this stuff. This yeah. is kind of my life now, so. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to build something. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know so. what it is. We're, we're definitely going to do something together. Yeah, I yeah. can feel it. I can yeah. feel it. And and Kyle, Mr. I don't need a mic, uh, <laughs> Kyle here. Too good for a microphone. Too good. I don't need to fucking talk to you guys while I'm sitting here. You know, no. Uh, yeah, we definitely have to get a third mic. But um, And yeah, we'll get Kyle involved. And yeah, I'm starting to be spoken word poets. Like, we're going to do something cool. 
either all at once or one at a time or yeah we'll do something i actually really like that idea of kind of like almost a strombo show where it's like you get a spoken word artist maybe mitch and then maybe just have like john f ross because he had a gallery show and they can all like have their do a spoken word poetry do a small little set and then just give a quick little q a after the fact so it looks like that'd be really really cool yeah let's make that happen yeah Okay, awesome. thanks for tuning in. Quick shout out to Kyle again, Media Lab YYC, Neverland Ranch. Is it Neverland YYC? Uh, so it's kind of weird. So the legal running name is Neverland Arts Foundation. Okay. And the Instagram handle is Neverland YYC. Okay. So everybody just calls it Neverland. And then the music's uh, still my lady, uh, Mallory Music. Uh, that song's hype. Uh, and we have some music stuff coming up, Kyle, that we'll, we'll see how that evolves. But uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for still listening. And uh, we'll talk to y'all again soon. Shine.